0: care for all your bros can suck my balls fuck your reply guys please don't fuck your reply guys just listen to reply guys hello and welcome back to reply guys the
1: leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us i am kate willett and i'm julia claire julia how have you been i have been Okay, I'm still alone in my apartment, but I did. I my parents came down um, for an overnight this weekend. Uh, a nice visit for Father's Day, um, and yes, yeah, so that was uh, weird. We own, we didn't go anywhere, obviously, because you that's inadvisable. So we just stayed in my apartment. Uh, for a day, which was <laughs> fine. It was nice. Uh, we played, played cards, watched Back to the Future, uh, watched 60 Minutes, um, and that who was who is who is the host of 60 Minutes at this at this point. So there's no one host. There's like six or seven anchors. I've been watching it like literally my whole life. I love 60 Minutes, and it is the most narc thing about me i think is that and and it's very clear who the target demo of 60 minutes is because all the commercials are for like bone density drugs and erectile dysfunction medications and yeah it's definitely in like life insurance
0: although there are a lot of men with erectile dysfunction that are not old that's true, and we're not talking about that nearly enough. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've I've known a lot of uh, users of recreational Cialis, uh, <laughs> particularly if you drink a lot um, oh, or if you yeah, use drugs. Absolutely. You need a That's little assist getting a boner. Definitely. Um, yes,
1: have I had sex with mm, at least one comedian who recreationally? Takes ED drugs because they drink so much I have um,
0: <laughs> Yeah I mean This might be one of those things where our Experience as comedians really influences How we see the world We're like everyone takes recreational Cialis <laughs> everyone, everyone pays drinks for their boyfriends Everything <laughs> Yeah. Everyone
1: drinks till they're barely conscious And then Yeah <laughs> Yeah Anyways that was bad um, But yeah, no, it was I'd never seen Back to the Future, so that was good. I really liked that movie. Um You had never seen Back to the Future? I had
0: not, which is it's it's I know it's a classic and but I loved like it. That's like a that that is such a that's such an old school like everyone's seen this movie. And like I oh, wow. know, you know, I'm not one of those people that like has seen the movies like i've never seen top gun for example okay, i haven't even have seen, seen top gun i hadn't even seen the godfather until a few years ago which is like i know like in that situation people are like have you ever had a boyfriend yeah you know? <laughs> um but i feel like back to the future is you know it's one of those classic movies about having a a Uh, an almost sexual interaction with your mom that (laughs) is beloved and near and dear in the hearts of uh, of people kids who grew up in the 80s and 90s
1: yeah I it's one of those movies that I can't believe I've never seen uh, that one I've never I've also never seen E.T. which I know is like sacrilege uh, I think E.T.
0: is pretty good I think that that's one of the kind of better movies of that uh, that time but I loved Back to the Future. I thought it had like a lot of good jokes.
1: Crispin Glover is very good. I wish he were in more things. Um,
0: yeah, it was a it was a fun romp. Uh, but, Are things more tense with your dad than usual, or not really? Um,
1: well, because I'm having these conversations, I'm having conversations with him about police brutality all the time. Uh. Yes and no. It's these aren't conversations that I had never had with him before. The past month, like I had talked to him about about this a lot, but yeah, I mean, the first segment on sixty minutes this week was it was interviewing the police chief of the Minneapolis Police Department, and I mean, he was my dad. Like, agreed with the, I I, I with the, like, evil of those officers, for sure, and, um, but I, I, as I think I said, I've said on, on previous episodes, he is just of more of, like, a, the system can be reformed angle, which the more people in his generation I talk to, the more I think that that might just be an age thing, is, like, there might be a generational divide on like people who think the police can be reformed.
0: <laughs> yeah, With more training. I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't really know. I haven't seen the statistics, but I would bet that, you know, a lot of people who have a lot of money who are even like our age, 20s and 30s still believe that, you know, because the police are ultimately like a a private security force to protect the property of rich people. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I
1: signed my Father's Day card, Black Lives Matter, so. I
0: love that. What did he say? Did he say anything?
1: Um, he said he loved the card, so. Aww. I'm gonna, um,. You know, slowly but surely going to make him a a police abolitionist.
0: (laughs) Jake for my birthday got me, uh, I guess he went to the store and got me a card uh, and they only had Father's Day cards. So he got me a Father's Day card for my birthday and just crossed out uh, the Father's Day message. That's beautiful. Happy Kate's birthday. I think it was like a Father's Day card from a a wife to a husband because there's this picture like of this couple on the beach Uh, and you know, in the, the message inside is like, our relationship is so deep, you know, but, and then it said like happy father's day and he just crossed it out. Happy Kate's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. That's, that's
1: love, baby. Um, yeah, but we had, uh, I feel like for the first time in a while, we can report some
0: good news. Uh, yeah, that came it was out. A, it was a good night last night. It was definitely a good morning to wake up in New York.
1: Last night was a good night. This morning was even better. Um, we had a, a big election here in New York State. Um, finally, got to vote in the presidential primary uh, felt for Bernard <laughs> Sanders. Really, uh, you know, filled out my absentee ballot. felt felt so powerful casting my vote for. For Senator Bernard Six yeah. months too late
0: <laughs> I know it, it definitely felt like Casting my vote For Bernard Sanders Yesterday It felt like You know When you Like you like someone For a long time And then they're not interested And then like years later They finally ask you out But you've already Gone to enough therapy uh, That you're just way past The time in your life When you were Willing to date them You know You're yeah. like Ah oh, it's, it's a very nice gesture But it's too late. <laughs> it's too late.
1: Basically, the candidate that we want to run now is just the personification of a, a guillotine. I think yes. that's what that's what we want. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, good. It was a, a really good night here uh, here in New York. Uh, Jabari Brisport, our our former guest, won his won his race for state Which senate. Which is so
0: cool. So cool. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast because I noticed it after um, we interviewed Jabari. Jabari is a graduate of the Yale Drama School, who is like, which is the best drama school in the entire country. Like, like literally two, three thousand people audition for like ten spots. And it's like classical drama training. It's so hard to get in there. I was an actor. So all of my friends, that was like their dream. And Jabari is a graduate of that program, so he was, like, he's, and he was, like, he's, pass,
1: yeah, he's, <laughs> like he he's went one of the and p- was just, like, never mind,
0: yeah, he's one of the best actors in the country, which is, um, amazing.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, the only reason why I knew that, because he also, he went to Tisch undergrad uh, at NYU, and a few of my friends were in his, his, like, graduating class at Tisch, like, knew him from there, what did they
0: say, oh, they love him, yeah, I wonder if he ever came across Chase Buddha Judge, if they ever did like Any uh, productions together or anything
1: I mean, like that, that is <laughs> I on That's on a need-to-know basis And I need to know um, Yeah, exactly But yeah, congratulations Jabari Congratulations Mondaire Jones Who won uh, his primary in New York 17 Which is um, awesome So cool uh, Really, so exciting
0: Julia Salazar won her re-election bid um, and then an AOC one, which is you know I know we're going to talk about you know some of the the new folks too, but uh breezed, you
1: know, I, breezed through her yeah her I, primary. I think
0: when I looked yesterday, she was at sixty nine percent of the vote, and it, it may have adjusted since then. But I refused to look because <laughs> I just really wanted to leave it in my mind as sixty nine percent. I mean, yeah. with her and Julia Salazar you know but especially with AOC um there was this narrative that the establishment really uh you know wanted was basically like that they you know they won because of super low turnout and you know if it happened again they wouldn't win because you know people would know uh to you know be prepared or whatever and i mean and, and she won so easily uh so it it is fun to watch that narrative be demolished before our eyes absolutely and there was okay there there was also
1: this is a weird one. Um, on the Republican side of things in North Carolina, I saw that there was a 24-year-old who won his Republican primary against someone who President Trump endorsed. And he's a 24-year-old paraplegic uh, who is, I mean, he's, his platform sounds pretty scary because he's a Republican, obviously. Um, and he's so young. I'm always, I'm, even more afraid of young people who have views that regressive. Um, But yeah, so that was like a huge upset. That was in North Carolina's 11th district. And if he wins his, if he wins the whole thing, if he wins in November, he will be the youngest person serving in Congress. He will be 25, which is the, um, the legal age you have to be when you uh, to serve in Congress, but yeah,
0: nothing like scarier. renting a car. Like <laughs> when you're, <laughs> it's one of those birthdays where you're like, okay, you know, I'm approaching thirty, but at least I can run for Congress and rent a car.
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, but the not so great news comes out of uh, Kentucky with our our pal charles booker who it looks like from hold cur- on i'm
0: gonna stop you right there i don't think we can call him a pal charles is very cool <laughs> you're right <laughs> i don't think we can go with pal on this one you're right <laughs> okay but i
1: will say that he was so charming and awesome he's that, so like, charming he, and
0: wonderful yeah he made me feel like a pal when we talked to him no i'm saying we could say he's, he's a friend um i mean i don't know if that would be exactly honest oh, we could- okay okay so yeah. you're okay so
1: you you're just taking issue with my 1950s, leave it to be Verlingo. Um
0: Yeah, my dad called me his pal when I was yeah. younger. It's, yeah. He's um, or little buddy, which is now what I call my cats. I'm realizing that I'm becoming my dad, but just with my cats. <laughs> anyway, sorry for that tangent. So but, Kate, happy Father's Day. Belanded yes. to
1: you. Um Yeah, so it looks like from the current numbers that Amy McGrath um is ahead of Charles Sucks. Booker but yeah she sucks we fucking <laughs> we hate her um it's, it's deeply saddens me when a woman sucks but guess what this one does and uh she is ahead of charles booker by seven points right now but the thing is it's obviously
0: the the absentee ballots haven't been counted yet so they're that, probably gonna go Mostly for her, because sure her, they her, her campaign kind of started tanking at the last minute there. Um, Charles Booker got a lot of notice after people were like, oh, yeah, maybe we should care about racism, you know, so then, which I is, know. you know, kind of, it's it's infuriating that it didn't happen until that moment, but. You know, Charles Booker uh, built up a lot of steam in the last few weeks here. And Definitely, and he was getting
1: a lot of those huge endorsements too. Yeah,
0: um, which we wish, you know, good, but we wish they came earlier, like from our yeah. dude Bernie. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: and I think like the week before the, r- a week before the race, like Julian Castro endorsed him as well. Um, there were a lot of. Didn't
0: Elizabeth Warren endorse him? She did, yeah Yeah, which was, uh, you know I got mixed feelings about Elizabeth Warren, obviously But, you know, hopefully there were, you know Some kind of more uh, normies that were like Oh, actually, you know, this guy, you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that is Elizabeth Warren's role from now on Is making normies be like Okay, let's give him a shot Um, Yeah But So there was a lot of Fucked up shit That happened in Kentucky um, Around this election And I don't say that lightly And I You know True fans will know I do not like to engage In any sort of like Conspiracy theory thing And I Give People the benefit of the doubt I give the Democratic Party The benefit of the doubt Way more than I Ever should but in this case, it was so blatant what was going on. So where Charles Booker is from is a district in Louisville. Louisville is a city of 600,000 people. There was one polling place, only one polling place for all of
0: Louisville. Yeah, in a time where people are, you know, supposed to be social distancing. Social distancing. Yeah. Uh, Blatant voter suppression, you know. Absolutely. I mean, like, and the Democratic Party grandstands about voter suppression a lot, which, like, obviously, it's a very serious issue. And you know, Republicans do quite a bit of it, but you know, there was this. This wasn't a race between Democrats and Republicans. This was a Democratic primary, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, they were still doing this shit to protect their establishment pick. Um,
1: and again, a lot of this attention to Charles Booker's campaign came too late. Um, like the daily did an episode about him on Monday, but I don't even think it was like, I don't particularly think it was framed correctly. Um, I do think like they basically just made it seem like after, um, this latest iteration of police violence against, um, unarmed black people happened that Charles Booker was just there as the the Black Lives Matter candidate who just appeared, but it's which is
0: extremely condescending. Extremely condescending. Not true. He's been in the race the whole time and has had a lot of grassroots support in Kentucky. Unlike Amy McGrath, who is... and also
1: what impressed the hell out of me about Charles Booker, both just reading you know reading about his campaign and then talking to him is he's talking about poverty in a way that. I think a lot of, like, establishment Democrats don't want to think about. Oh, yeah. Like, I, he talks, he he kind of centralizes poverty and lifting people up in the ways in which we could, could do that. And because he comes from one of the poorest districts in Kentucky. And to see Amy McGrath projected to win this race... It makes me so upset because Amy McGrath is, everyone keeps saying she's not a natural politician. Yeah, that's, I mean, she's not, because she, she doesn't believe in anything.
0: No, I am. I mean, you know, we've talked about her on the show before, but her whole thing is that uh, she she wants to appeal to voters in Kentucky by saying, you know, Mitch McConnell is not helping Trump enough and she wants to help him more, assuming he gets a second term. You know, I mean, like she, you know, she's not even a centrist. She's like right wing and Democrats are obsessed with her because of these like identity issues. Like, oh, you know, she's she's a woman and she's a veteran, which is like, okay, great, you know. Have have women have veterans, but you know their their support for this stuff is so shallow. As you can see, like with you know Hillary Clinton and Andrew Cuomo supporting Elliot Engel over Jamal Bowman, who also won, which is awesome. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know they don't they don't really care about this stuff. It's just a veneer for like you know having having some external reason to support. A candidate other than like hey they are the establishment pick and they will not do anything to push the democratic party towards you know standing up for the interests of the working class and uh, not only that amy mcgrath came to prominence
1: when she ran for congress and then she lost they and love they losers decided, they love it they this is one thing that has always st- stuck with me about the democratic party is that they recycle losing candidates in ways that make makes absolutely no fucking sense to me. They did the same thing with John Ossoff.
0: Look, I love to recycle losers, but sexually. <laughs> that's the only something- that's the
1: only appropriate place yeah. to do
0: it. We yeah, all know it's not it. something that you should do if you're trying to win an election. I but you know and and it's like
1: Charles Booker's already an elected official in Kentucky, like representing his, he aren't, he he's already doing the work, and it makes me so upset that he has been denied the chance to do that on a larger scale.
0: And you know, I mean, obviously, like Mitch McConnell is going to be extremely hard to unseat, but definitely Amy McGrath is not going to do it. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was listening to that episode of the Daily about him,
1: and one of the New York Times reporters interviewed uh, Charles and asked him, like, do you think Amy McGrath Amy McGrath, will lose against Mitch McConnell? And he was like, absolutely.
0: Yeah, duh. And they were,
1: like, they were so shocked that he said that. And then he just, like, gave a very, like, sensible answer um, where he said, you know, trying to appeal to the middle and like run a milk toast centrist candidate has been done before it's been done over and over again and you might peel off a few voters but people can see through that there is it is very different to vote for to vote for someone who actually like stands for something it's Motivating yeah, per- and it yeah, gets people particular- to
0: turn out Yeah particularly in a pandemic When in a state where there's already huge Issues with voter suppression I mean you know it's if you're gonna have to stand In line for hours to vote for somebody And you may be risking your life To do so are you really gonna do that For Amy McGrath no No. She, she's a Karen's Karen I hate you know I'm getting a little Karen It's like hack now but she is such a Karen Oh
1: god She just bums me out She's just There's just nothing, I mean, she was just like engineered in a lab to run for, (laughs) to run for office in in a race like that, but because she just has no, again, she stands for nothing. It's just, it makes me so upset because seeing Charles Booker's campaign up close, like got me so excited about. not only what's possible in places like Kentucky, but, like, all across... I mean, people, more candidates, especially at the Senate level, like, talking about poverty, you see that more more, and more, luckily, at the House level, um, increasingly, in recent years. But... the Senate is going to be fucking tough. And you know why? Because Chuck Schumer... Is not good at picking winners
0: Yeah I mean you know I I mean obviously they all just Throw their support behind the most Establishment person um, And the only people that like establishment politicians are like corporations and then like psychos who are like democratic party stands um well the reason why
1: i bring up chuck schumer is because he personally recruited her to run for senate yeah once, no once. He, he
0: sucks and i think we're gonna primary him in 2022 and it's gonna roll and new york has had um new york has such an organized dsa and even people who aren't in the dsa uh you know there's just like such a there's such an organized group of like socialists and progressives, uh, here. And, you know, it's just been like one of the, um, one of the States where these insurgent campaigns have had a lot of success and it's really inspiring. Um, it's super, it was super cool to see Jamal Bowman win last night. Um, oh, I know all the, the votes are not in, but you know, like, I mean, it, it looks so far, like it was a pretty decisive victory. Um, and, uh, Yeah, it's gonna be great to have him in Congress. Uh, The the squad uh, is gonna be uh, bigger, and you know, it's like obviously the squad is gonna get its first man. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah. You know, gender equality. Um, You know, but it's a yeah. I mean, obviously, all these candidates, like you know, they're still gonna be dramatically outnumbered, right? And I think that's why it's really important to do, um, you know, to to do things that are outside of electoral politics, organize your workplace, um, you know, march, uh, protest, throw a brick if that's your thing. But, um, you know, definitely like the impact of someone like AOC has really um, outsized her one vote in the House of Representatives in terms of, like, what she's been able to do for uh, the conversation, the Overton window, even though I hate that term. Um, So I'm very optimistic that uh, Jamal Bowman, Jabari, um, some of these other candidates that were, uh, that won their primaries last night are going to be able to do, um, and it's super cool. Um, And uh, with that, uh, you know, I... uh, I think we're ready to to intro our guest for this week. Do you think so? I think, I think we are. Okay, so um, we have Angelica Duenas, and she's a candidate that is running in California. Um, to be honest with you, I, like sometimes when interviewing these candidates, I'm like, oh wow, we're interviewing so many candidates. I love interviewing all these candidates, but like, I'm I'm very stoked to like have discussions about like drug legalization and stuff soon. But you know, it is really um, exciting and important to you know, see all of these people uh, win or gain a lot of traction or mobilize new volunteers. And so um, I'm just really stoked. She's running in the San Fernando Valley. Um, seems incredibly cool. Uh, we hope that you vote for her if you live there uh, or maybe uh, throw her some bucks if you uh, do not live there. Um, so, yeah, congratulations, New York. And um, yeah, we're just we're, we're excited about last night. Kentucky, we'll see you next time. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, my mom is pretending that she doesn't follow me on Twitter. But yesterday, she um, sent me this thing that was like, are you going to go vote in Kentucky? Because I was tweeting about Charles Booker. And she just like, pretends that she's just randomly asking me that. And she didn't like make an alt to follow me. I don't know. What a weirdo. That's so funny. I mean,
1: yeah, maybe someday. All right. But yeah, this is this is a very good interview. I'm excited for everybody to hear it.
0: Hello and welcome back to Reply guys. We are here with Angelica Duenas who is running for Congress in California's 29th district. Welcome to the show Angelica. Thank you. Thank you
2: so much for having me here. We're so stoked. How's your how's your core going? Um it's going it's going, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's going it's been um quite an uh an experience i have uh i have five kids and four of them are students and it's been like um like little house in the prairie schoolhouse where like, we have all the grades in one place and stuff so it's been quite an experience but i think my kids are handling it well and the teachers have been amazing oh god um, yeah yeah so i'm I'm very grateful i was already grateful uh and very appreciative to teachers but even more now <laughs> Uh, what is it like to homeschool five kids at the same time? (laughs) How are you managing that? Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Fortunately, the, my, my old, my two older kids are in junior high. So, you know, they they're pretty like, they got it going on. Like they're on top of their own stuff. Like if anything, it's more like making sure they're on top of their stuff. And I've had a couple of calls from teachers like, Hey, they're not checking in. So I have to like check in on them. But other than that, like they're on top of it, the little ones, you know, it's, it's a tablet and all this stuff. I have a first grader and a kindergartner. So you can only imagine, like you can only, I could probably leave them for like five minutes at most at any given time for them to kind of do their own thing if I wanted like, you know, go to the restroom, you know, wash a dish or whatever. So it's been quite a, you know, an experience. Um, but I feel like we're getting through it. And my older kids have really stepped into, to like whenever they have the time to, to help us out to make sure that their little siblings are doing good. So it's Aww. been a team effort. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful that, you know, that I have that, that extra hand with the older kids because I can only imagine how other parents are doing when it's just like them and the kid. Oh, my gosh, it must be crazy. So it's into, um, ele- into, um, into school, like, you know, having a good pace going. Um, now I'm starting to see a little bit more extra time which I'm like, oh, wow, if we were driving back and forth, that would not be the case, you right. know, If and, and so, so now I'm starting to see that a little bit, which makes it so that we can organize and really start getting ready to, to either, because we're over here g- doing a lot of guesswork, right, so which takes up a lot of time too. like, okay, so if we're able to open up, this is what we want to do. If we can't go out into the real world, you know, this is what we're going to be doing, so um, campaigning has been a lot harder because what, what we really, um, our, our strength is door to door canvassing. And that's really where, where we, where we thrive. This is, that's where, when we do well, you know, and the progressive side of things is going door to door, talking to people face to face and making those connections. And so now we're like, okay, well, how else can we still connect with people? So that's what we're working on and you know, we have a very creative um bunch in my team and I'm very excited um to the things that we're we're putting together and um making sure that we can still take stay connected with the community, which is which is key.
0: I know uh oh sorry, go ahead, Julia. Oh no, I was just gonna say that that sounds great, Kate. Okay, you you. Oh, I was just going to say, I know, you know, you're relying entirely on small donations. You're not taking corporate donations. I know that is also a factor that's really hit these progressive candidates really hard too. you know, because people are struggling right now and, you know, can't, can't blame people if they don't have extra money to donate to political campaigns. But at the same time, it's like, we, it's really important that people like you get elected Mm -hmm. so that we can get out of this situation.
2: Yeah, no, that's been the hard part, you know what I mean? I'll be honest, like I've been avoiding call time, which uh, my interim call manager is going to cringe right now, but yeah, like it, it feels ugly because, you know, the few times that I have been calling, you know, people are not in, 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 in a good place, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it definitely feels ugly having to ask, ask for money. Uh, At the same time, though, um, we also do understand that there are, you know, folks out there who who agree with our message and who, um, you know, um, have the same values that we do, who are fortunate enough to be able to still work from home, who actually are not spending money because they're at home now, and on top of that, they got the stimulus, you know, you know, check. So there are those people who do have those extra funds and. You know, so you know that's who we're trying to hope to be able to inspire those people who who have been fortunate enough to support progressive candidates. Because um, even though, you know, some would say since Bernie suspended his campaign, a lot of people have been just heartbroken and mm-hmm. feeling defeated. But what's important is that you know local races are still happening, and what we need to also keep in mind is that. Even if Bernie would have won, even if Bernie would have been the nominee and would have won in November, the fight would have been continuous. It's not something that you know one person can really take care of, which is unfair to put it on one person. Right. This is, it, it, like he said, it was. It's not me. It's it, it's us, and that's what we need to keep remember that you know the fight continues. It was going to continue anyway. So, um, you know, let's go through the morning process, but let's pick ourselves up and let's look around to see who, uh, locally, or if you're not you don't have somebody locally, who can you support that you do trust in whatever way possible that you can, um, and to make sure that we still fight for these issues, you know, Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, affordable housing as a right, um, uh quality education from all the way from pre-k to phd tuition free um you know loan forgiveness um at 100 percent. like none of this like weird like caps and you know filling out applications and all that stuff like um we were doing some research and, and we were looking at some staggering numbers like over 90 percent of people who apply for loan forgiveness programs that they think that they did what they had to do which is like they took a job with the the government entity, or they took a job in this one area, or there's the, all these things that you can apply for loan forgiveness. If you work for a nonprofit, over ninety percent of people get denied for these mm. applications for loan forgiveness because they, I don't know, some weird loopholes in yeah. in, in, in that and in, in that in those agreements. So people are not getting relief, and right now it's very clear to see that. Um, You know, our system really is broken and we can't continue unless we do something bold and um, outside of like a complete reset of the economy. Um, I think that there's these like, you know, common sense solutions. And I think that loan forgiveness uh, for for school loans has already been in, in the conversation for quite a while yeah, um, and that now we're seeing it would be an immediate stimulus. Actually, like how many yeah. people would have an immediate like two hundred, three hundred to like twelve hundred dollars extra a month to be able to inject into the into the economy? And it, we know that people, you know, low income to like mid income, middle income people, what would do we do with money? We spend it. We spend mm-hmm. it immediately. We actually we spend more than we have, and that's what we're on our credit cards. So you know, creating um, an immediate stimulus by simply Uh, canceling out school loan debt would be a complete relief. Right now, I mean, we can talk about, you know, the coronavirus, but we need like a real uh, relief for the people, which is we need uh, to uh, cancel rent, cancel mortgages, cancel utilities, and really truly bail out, you know, Main Street, not, you know, the, the big guys. Because what we're seeing is that we're looking at, economic, like, oh my gosh, I, I can't even imagine what we're, 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 we're going to be facing. And within a few months, once people come to, you know, the reality starts to hit all of us and we're, we start cut to coming out of our of our homes and all these businesses that have been shut down because of the coronavirus are not going to open up again. And people are don't have jobs to go back to. And now the only people that you can work for are these big, you know, corporations that have been um, utilizing the people like, like, like their things like at the Amazons and the Walmarts and the Targets, you know, what are we going to do then? You know, it's like the, the, the odds are stacking up against us and they're stacking up against us and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And our elected officials are like, they're letting us all down. All of them are at one way. I mean, nobody's perfect. But, um, you know, we need to really, and we, what we, I feel is what's important, important is for us to be able to educate the masses because change happens, you know, from the bottom up. And totally. if the people are not able to ask for these things or to push of are elected, their elected are not going to, are, are not going to act. So it, it's, it's a, it's a lot of work, you know, it's a lot of work that we need to be focusing on, but, um, but our electeds have really truly let us down. And when it comes down to it, it's because, you know, we need to get money out of politics. It's, it's really that simple. And it's, and it's something that we've been saying for a very long time, but now, right now. It's very, very clear. Look who they bailed out, who yeah. got bailed out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you go back and you look at who donated to who you, you'll get to see who got bailed out and who didn't and why.
1: Totally. It's, um, it's really staggering and you know economists have done studies and it's been proven time and again that like the biggest stimulus that this country could receive would be a cancellation of student loan debt um because ultimately how i mean this that's trillions of dollars yeah and um yeah it would be like every other stimulus that has been passed has been kind of, of the trickle down model. And that has been shown time and time again, not to work as well. Like trickle down has never worked. Even Ronald Reagan's own, uh, own like, uh, fiscal advisor realized very quickly that it wasn't going to work. So, I don't know. I mean, it's just like it's a lie that's been perpetuated for 40 yeah. years now. Um, and, you know, it has to be like with student loan cancellation, as you, as you mentioned, it has to be like a two pronged approach. It has to be a cancellation of student loan debt, but also addressing the outrageous cost of higher education in the first place. Because mm-hmm. if we just cancel student loan debt and don't, don't do anything about the cost, then mm-hmm. we're kind of back to square one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I would love to hear about, I'm, you know, I'm an East coast girl. I don't know California very well. I would love to hear about California's, uh, 29th district. Who, who are your people? Who, uh, tell me about, about your, your community.
2: Yeah. So, um, so we're out here in the San Fernando Valley, which is part of Los Angeles. Uh, The whole district is inside of Los Angeles County. And so we're like on the north, one of the northernest parts of the San Fernando, or sorry, of, of the Los Angeles County area, and um, our district is about about seventy uh, percent Latino, and um, and we are low, um, middle to lower to to low income. Uh, for the majority of our of our district, we have um, a really high unemployment rate so i 'm not sure what it is now right because it must be something outrageous but um, before even coronavirus hit um, which the last statis- statistics were of 2018 um, we were fifty percent higher than the national average so we 've already had uh, you know a higher than than average uh, unemployment rate. And, um, the jobs that we're seeing here, it's like, you know, low, low paying jobs. Um, a lot of dirty industries. We have a lot of, um, auto dismantling, um, shops out here. We have a lot of, um, like junkyards. Um, we have a few of the, of the cities and the counties, um, uh, dumps are actually in our district. So we have, not only do we have, like, do we get everybody's trash and their junk cars, right? Um, Also all of the the traffic. So we have trucks that come and go all the time in in our district because they need to come and dump their, their trash and their, their, what have you. Um, We also have the trucks, truck yards. So the car, the trucks park here. So the trash trucks come and go from our district back to, you know, to where they went, where they're going to go collect trash and come back to our district um, I recently found out in the last, uh, you know, year or so that apparently the freeways were designed in such a way that, um, I guess, around our area, the um, overpasses are not high enough for these the big semis to go through. So semis actually have to get out uh, off the freeway and get out onto um, our streets and drive through our, you know, na- you know, our neighborhoods st- streets to get back into onto the freeway. So we're having a really disproportionate amount of traffic that goes through our district. So we have a high number of pollution. So we are second to um, South Los Angeles, where in South Los Angeles, it's very clear why they have such a high pollution rate, they have like, a like, tons of refineries, they have um, oil refineries to like w- water treatment to um, waste treatment, a lot of like really ugly, dirty, dirty uh, dist- um, 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 industries. There, mm. here it's 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 like it's junky, but you wouldn't. It's not really that horrible. What it is is literally the traffic, the traffic that we have coming in and out of our district that has made our air just as toxic as the refinery-filled uh, South Los Angeles. We have five major freeways that go they go through our district. Um, so we have a, a high number of just regular traffic that goes through here. We have the trucks that come in and out because of the truck yards. We have the trucks that come in and out because of, um, we have rock quarries too. So we have um, cement trucks that come in and out of our district. Um, we literally have um, a lot of these industry that causes uh, for extra traffic and it's semi trucks. So these are trucks that are already, um, they they already do a more pollution than a red, you know, regular vehicles do. And, um, you know, we just have, um, um, but on the flip side, we also do have a very, um, a community that, that, that is very hardworking and that really is trying to advance themselves. You know, we we have the kids that are going to college, the numbers are going up, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things that we do have going in our district as well. um, But we do have a lot of low numbers of people going uh, to school, even beyond high school. um, Because what it is is that people have to get to work um, because um, people are, 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 not getting paid that well so that like they have to come and, and start to work to help their parents. So we're seeing a lot of young people taking low wage jobs to help the, the um, people at home. We're seeing a lot of houses like kind of like getting filled up, like instead of the kids moving out, you know, because it's, Oh, you're 18, you're 20 or what have you, you know, maybe they're getting married. Maybe they're starting a family. They actually end up moving people in and what we're seeing more instead of people moving out is that we're seeing a lot more of like remodeling of the households and, and making their houses bigger or like putting a, a secondary guest house within the properties. And so what we're seeing is that people are just kind of like piling up more mm-hmm. and um, because we're not seeing the opportunities of being able to move out, even go, moving out to rent an apartment yeah. is um, very un- unrealistic around here. If you want to stay local to your family, you know, so we're seeing a lot of that. It's like a lot of stagnation in many ways. But, um, a lot of intention for growth in our youth and um a hunger for change
0: there's probably no way to know this exactly, but are there a lot of undocumented people in your district?
2: Yes, um actually, we do i would I would say we have a significant we will have those numbers, but um what they say is that. About sixty uh, percent of the uh, of of homes here in our district have a member that no that is of undocumented status. So it's definitely uh, it's a big concern. Um, it's something that our community very much cares about is um, immigration rights and uh, the protection of of, of families. Um, you know, in this you know horrendous and inhumane ICE a system that that we're you know that we have one thing i've been thinking a lot about recently is just like you
0: know how little aid is available for you know people and families that are being hit really hard with this crisis and then undocumented people don't qualify for any of it and Mm -hmm. i'm just like what the fuck are people supposed to do you know it's
2: heartbreaking it really is heartbreaking um our governor governor newsom who I mean I would say he's far from perfect but he has been doing a lot of great actions in re- reaction to the coronavirus. So I really do appreciate him in many ways. Um and one of the things that he was able to do which is it's crumbs really. He was able to get um gosh, 75 million dollars or something like that. Something like not a crazy amount. Um uh which came out to a $500 per like, you know, uh up to, I think, $1,000 per household for mm-hmm. folks that are undocumented status. Um, mind you, you have to, like, get in line, do an application, do all this stuff. They're not giving it to them directly. They're actually giving it to, like, weird nonprofit organizations who claim that all these people called, but everybody who's, like, nope, um, they're, like, nobody can claim that they got help. Weird. It's weird. Anyways, point being that it's, it's very weird how the, the aid is even being distributed, okay? It's very, it's crumbs, It's weird how it's being distributed. There's no real accountability of of our people getting this money to begin with. It's $500 a piece. I think we did the math and it came out to like the most that people could get. It was like 75,000 people are going to be able to get help or something, you know, very tiny. And at the end of it all, or 150,000 people, um, we have uh, two uh, people who are running for state assembly That are suing the governor um, for uh, offering these benefits for undocumented folks. Yeah, I saw that. Which is crazy. One of them is married to a guy who owns a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, Anna Mariachi, and I'm like, who do you think is 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 you know funding your business? And then the other person who, he was a refugee from El Salvador who had undocumented status for 10 years before he got his stuff together, he is also uh, suing um, Governor Newsom for, you know, for offering this aid to undocumented people. It's just heartbreaking. It it's really just heartbreaking is. to see, like, these are two Latinos these are two Latinos who are doing this. It's like, what is happening? You know, we're eating our, 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 our own and for crumbs. Yeah. For crumbs, like we should be asking for so much more. They're lucky that we are stuck in our homes. I mean, cause we literally should be out in the street. Yeah. you know, They're taking it's advantage of that. Too. What? Okay.
0: So, you know, right now we live in, in hell worlds. Uh, let's say we don't, what is, what is a, what is a, a leftist, a good leftist immigration policy look like? Open borders, something else? Um, what's, what's your platform on this issue?
2: Honestly, I think that what we need to understand that immigration is not just about, you know, letting people in or what have you. It's a, why are people leaving their homes, you know? Right. It's like, who wants to leave everything and everyone that they know? Who wants to do that? You know, absolutely nobody. We have to address the the, the issues that are, are creating people having to leave their homes, be it economics be it, um, crime or, uh, be it that we are maybe disrupting their government by like, you know, funding terrorism or doing um, a, you know, a coup. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like, oh no, no, that, that's not your president that you duly elected. This one is, you know what I mean? Like stuff yeah. like that, you know what I mean? Where that we should actually be considering, um, because bottom line, nobody wants to leave their everything. You know, yeah. when my mom and my dad left, uh, you know, Mexico, they got here. They were undocumented. My mom didn't get to see her mom for like, gosh, like 15 plus years. So when she finally early. got her, her, you know, her status. We went back and I remember we were there for like three weeks. And when my grandma, you know, uh, took us to the, to the airport and she was saying bye to my mom, they were crying because they, well, she was like, you know, this is probably going to be the last time I, I'm, I, I ever get to see you. And it was true. My grandma ended up passing away. Um, but that was actually like a good thing, a good story that we have that other people don't get to experience. My mom got to go back and see my grandma before she went. We hear stories of people who are hearing of their family members agonizing and, and, and knowing that they're going to die and not be able to go and can't even go back for a funeral you know, and that's it. Like they're just stuck out here because if they go back, they might not be able to come back to their family here because they have kids here. They have a family here that they can't, you know, risk not being able to come back to. It's torture. Like who wants to do that? Absolutely nobody. And I think that that's something that people just don't even consider that we need to stop and think like, what can we do to make sure that, you know, things that back home and, and, you know, all these other countries are, are good for them to want to stay. And, you know, in some situations are going to be more complicated than others, but, you know, we can do a whole lot of good with our, with aid instead of spending all this money on the military and, and, and and killing people and all this stuff. And, And actually our, our foreign military bases, like it's crime around military bases is crazy. Like, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, our, our military has a, a, a tradition of, you know, really taking advantage of local um, populations around military bases. You know, there's a high number of rapes and, you know, weird things that happen in, in military bases areas. So, you know, we can be doing a whole lot more. For um, our safety around the world, we we'll could say like you know we're, we're this is like a war on terror. But we can really do a whole lot more to keep us safe here in our country, and really improve things in, in other in other places to make sure that um, people are able to thrive where they're at. That's what people want to do. You know what I mean? And with our allies like in Saudi Arabia, you know really we can really be influencing um, you know human rights. And so that's what we really should be focusing. I think that um, the solution is really um, um, a a kind foreign policy that addresses, um, that addresses, oh, somebody's calling me, sorry, that addresses um, why people are leaving, you know, where they're leaving. And then there's some areas that, you know, with climate change that we're not going to be able to keep you know people are gonna have to move you know and relocate and what can we do to make sure that that's a fair uh process where everybody can you know can can remain safe and um that people are not being left behind you know we need to be equitable in our solutions too totally
1: and i think that people don't i mean like all these kind of like hot button issues people don't understand that like immigration is a and like the status of undocumented people in this country is is as you said like a systemic issue and it goes the root of it goes much further back than i think a lot of people want to admit because Mm -hmm. it's like maybe if the united states hadn't destabilized like almost every central and south american country um over the last 50 60 years uh you know, we wouldn't have the kind of um, situation on our hands that a lot of people seem to think is just like, you know, just only started happening very recently. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the to me, it seems like the cruelty of the Trump administration has been somewhat exceptional um but you know democrats also have supported a pretty bad immigration policy and have just Mm -hmm. done a lot of things to to hurt people uh as well um i you know i think all the time about like you know a, a refrain that like liberals will say uh when you know they're talking about you know electing joe biden it's like well we need to vote for joe biden because we have to uh get these kids out of cages which like obviously i'm 100 percent on board with no human being in a cage but i don't know i don't i don't necessarily see a reversal of
2: um some of these really horrible immigration policies under joe biden what are your thoughts on that well, the thing that, you know, we need to maybe point out is that kids have been, been put in cages like how they have been since, um, you know, Obama and Biden were, were um, in, in the presidential, in, in the administration. Um, you know, so these, to say that it was so much better under Obama, it's, it's, it's really a lie. I mean, he was the deporter in chief. He mm-hmm. deported more people than any other president ever. Um, you know, some of these people were deported, and, and you know, and, and I think Hillary Clinton uh, made a statement on this that she was so proud of of her work, she sent they sent back a, a you know, it was a, a caravan of like hundreds of people, where uh, the word got back that many of those people were killed mm-hmm. when once they made it back because they were literally. Um, Seeking asylum from being threatened, you know they were going to get killed. Like they were, they were uh, escaping murder, um, and that's exactly what happened. Um, so this stuff has been happening for quite a while. Donald Trump's administration has been particularly cruel in separating, uh, you know, the families. That has been exceptionally cruel. Um, and that has been just so horrific. Um, and that's something that I don't think any of us really anticipated that that's just un unheard of. It's not, mm. That's not something that has ever happened. You know what I mean? Other than for safety reasons, yeah, they, they separate the children. They figure out, you know, are they family or not? Most of the people who are like the kids that are not with a parent, they're like with a cousin, they're like yeah. with a with a brother and they're like with with a sibling like they're like with a different family member for the most part you know what i mean but they're saying they're unaccompanied simply because they're not there with their parent usually they're actually their parent is already here they're actually you know looking to re uh reunify themselves with their parents you know what i mean so this is what's happening and it's just so crazy um but at the same time i think that it's very important for us to to not forget that that this was going on beforehand and that if, you know, which I think it's a really long shot, but if you know the, the Democrat, uh, you know, Biden, if, if Biden is able to win the presidency um, for us not to expect for things to just go, you know, if things are just going to be so much better, um, we need to make sure that we're holding people accountable and that we're making sure that these policies um, that, that are being implemented um, are something that, that we, uh, can feel okay with that that are humanitarian and that addresses you know our foreign policy as well. That I think that our immigration policy is more than just how many people ca- can come in, you know what are the criteria. You know it's it's bigger than that. It really really is.
1: So you you have a specific section on your website um, about uh, your vision for for foreign policy and what the kind of foreign policy that you would like to see the United States engage in, and I think that that uh, you know we were talking about this before uh, before we started recording is that I, I think that that is an area where a lot of um, you know otherwise quote unquote progressive uh, legislators in this country fall woefully short, and um, and I think that's it's something that we need to talk about. A lot more, um, so could you could you walk us through your vision for for foreign policy?
2: yeah, I mean, we really want to um, emphasize um, like communication and diplomacy, really like talking um, with with other countries and really um, looking to see how we can help uh, other countries and, and facilitate um, um, to be able to find solutions between maybe conflicts that might be going on between two, you know, groups within the same area, maybe say like the Middle East or what have you, to um, foreign aid, to be able to really influence, you know, areas and countries by helping them rather than arming one side or another, right? Um, I think that we need to really be looking at creating partnerships, um, you know, uh, worldwide and really start focusing on what can we do um to improve each other's conditions and to really allow for i think like kind of it's like a separate thing but i think it's also the same thing like a green new deal the green new deal should really be a global effort Mm -hmm. because what we really need to start thinking about is like yeah there's many of, of of us countries that have been utilizing our resources at a disproportionate rate that we really need to like you know figure out how to cut that back like immediately um, but we also have other countries that haven't been able to develop. So we need to make sure that we're allowing enough, you know, resources out there, you know, credits of, you know, um, of, I don't know, I guess, footprints to be able to allow for other countries to make their advances possible to get to also a green, a green place, right. So that we could all have that, equi- um, uh, an equitable chance of being able to, to reach our, our goals of so being fossil free by like twenty thirty, um, we need to um, really focus on on treaties. You know what I mean. We need to emphasize on on fair trade, and that. Um, and I think that's one of those things that we, you know, fair trade um, can really uh, influence um, being able to have a peaceful world. And a world where, you know, your work is is taken for the value that it's, it's worth and that people can really thrive. And we need to seek out, like, sustainability, like, this capitalistic way of thinking that, you know, resources are are just endless. It's just crazy. And what we're seeing is that, you know, um, we're taking resources from parts of the world that, um, you know, we're, we're taking advantage of them. We are... Um, um, utilizing their resources, their labor, you know, at slave rates. And um, at the end of, our, of it all, they are getting um, like the bad end of the stick, the, all the pollution, all of the the problems that come with, you know, getting those resources out of the ground or whatever the case might be. And we're getting all of those benefits and it's for disposable Um, Like disposable economy, all these like plastic things that, you know what I mean? Like we really need to just, again, it's like a separate thing, but like to create value of what really is important in our lives. You know what I mean? It comes, that goes back to like education and really being valuing uh, relationships and, and thriving off of like doing good in our, in our planet. Like I think that if we could all have like the Girl Scout, Boy Scout mentality of like, you know, know, leave things better than what you found. Oh my gosh. Imagine that if we can just get everybody to meditate and like do Girl Scout, Boy Scouts. You know what I mean? I think that that would be really great. But um, in regards to like foreign policy, like just building treaties um, and uh, making sure that, you know, we're building a building a world, that uh, we can all feel safe in, and that, um, that we can build uh, equity. Like, I think that that's gonna be really hard, but if we all, as a planet, you know what I mean, really focus on that, um, that's something that can be very, very much doable, and it, and it keeps things in mind that, you know, the world is ever-changing, climate is changing, and if we can really start seeing at our planet as, like, we're all one, And uh, I think that that would just make things just we need to focus on humane solutions and common sense solutions for the problems at hand. And I think that if we talk to most people individually, um, we all kind of have so much more in common than not. Like, it's just the craziest thing. Totally. So I think most people really do care. And even the most conservative person, like if you kind of like talk like, you know, one on one on stuff, like we agree more than we don't you know, so I think that that's something that we just need to start focusing on is just that, you know, things are bigger than us. Um, We need to look at the humane um, solutions to things. And I don't know, we just need to slow down. We just need to slow down and look at the big picture. People are just so easy to like, pick teams, like my, my team, your team, red, blue, you know what I mean? Left, right, like, it's not like that. It really is. It's crazy, but it, it really is not like that. And, yeah. and that's, I think what it is. It's like, and I think that the power is that be like spent so much money and resources getting us to like, you know, be on, on different teams and stuff when we're really like team human, you know what I mean? And they're like team a-holes or whatever. And like, you know, yeah. there, there's like so much in many of us than there are of them. Like, have you seen the movie Ants? I think no. everybody should watch the movie. Oh my gosh, you guys should watch the movie Ants. That, that's just how it is.
0: I will that's watch it. it. I never um, knew that the ants uh,
2: had uh, good politics.
0: I never really <laughs> thought about it. Uh, I know.
2: I know. They're great.
1: <laughs> that's so yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, to your point, that like tribalism uh, is something that Republicans like really exploit. Mm -hmm. um using like wedge issues a lot of the time to kind of and i mean they're republicans exploit identity politics more often than more often than not um so but it's you know it's like it's white identity politics Mm -hmm. yeah Um, (laughs) and so yeah i completely agree and we could all do well to learn from the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts of America.
0: If, if folks uh, were inspired by uh, this, this message of getting involved <laughs> uh, to elect people at the, at the local and state level and, um, you know, and to the House of Representatives and Senate and stuff, uh,
2: how can they get involved in your campaign specifically? Yes, absolutely. So we are running here in the California's 29th Congressional District. Um, we made it through our jungle primary. Um, you know, people who crunch numbers didn't see us making it uh, past third, third place because we had a Republican in the race and because we had very tiny little funds. But our district is hungry for change, so we made it through. And now we're facing one, uh, one-on-one uh, in November, Tony Cardenas. And if people uh, who, is a, who is a corporate Democrat and who takes tons and tons of money from terrible... Um, industries. His number one funder is Big Pharma. He will not meet with, uh, oh, Medicare for, yeah, <laughs> he, he will not meet with Medicare for All advocates. He will not back a Green New Deal. Um, and he does not believe that affordable housing is a human right. And um, he has raised over $700,000. Um, less than 2% of that is from individual donors. Jeez. So it's all packed and super packed money. And um, we are 100% people powered. We are 100% um, small donations uh, funded. And um, people can check us out at angelicaforcongress.com. And there you can check out our platform and um, you can sign up to volunteer. And you would be able to volunteer and within the next month or so. We're hoping to be able to get our call um, call banking system set up. So wherever you're at, you, sh- you would be able to do some phone banking for us. And if you're local, um, hopefully in the next few months, um, we'll be able to get out of our houses and go out into the real world and maybe knock on some doors and let people know we're here. Um, and um, if you can't do any of those, but maybe you have some extra change to spare, please consider donating. Please consider being a monthly donor. Um, we can do so much with so very little. Um, And just to give you an idea, um, we spent about $10,500 in the primary. Tony spent over $600,000, $700,000. And the votes came out to, he spent over $11 per vote. We spent 47 cents per vote. Wow. And um, so it just gives you an idea with what we were able to do with so very little, And um, our community is really looking for some changes. And regardless of where you're at, if you can help me get into Congress, um, that will help you anywhere in this country. Remember that the US uh, Congress affects the whole nation and just like AOC and Ilhan Omar and uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, have been able to help us in, in moving our progressive issues forward. I will be there with the squad, making it a battalion. Ideally, we can have a bunch of us get in there and really push things to the left where they need to be and to um, put people first. You know what I mean? Put people first and um, get people back to where they need to be, um, which is somewhere where we haven't been, somewhere where we can be safe, feel secure, um, be healthy and um, be able to take care of our children and have a future to really look forward to.
0: And where can folks follow you on social media?
2: Ah, yes. Um, Any of the, uh, so we have a Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find us um, at Angelica4CA. So A-N-G-E-L-I-C-A, the number four (laughs) C-A. That's awesome. Thank you so much for
0: coming on the show, Angelica. It was really a pleasure to talk with you.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, girls, for having me. I look forward to being able to come back again um, after inauguration.
0: Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, we, if, I'm hoping that uh, all of our, uh, our can, all the candidates we've had on the show win, and then, you know, we can be like, hey, you know what? We interviewed you on the way up now. It's time to be uh,
2: our first sitting
0: congressperson on reply, guys. (laughs) I
2: feel like it's like D.C. and New York's not that far, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll
1: call it the the Victory Lap series.
2: Yes. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be great.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, oh, Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can also find our Reply Guys. They are always with us.
0: Bernie, take us out.
2: As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden
1: valley. This land was made for you and me.
0: This land is your land.